From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Andrew Kenny. This week, we asked political reporter John Frank to join us. He's a reporter with the Colorado Sun. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. And John, you are here to help us take a look at what Colorado's presidential primary results can tell us about voter trends and turnout, how we vote, and then what does this all mean for the November election? My favorite topic, math. I'm sure we'll be able to figure it all out. But first, let's look at some of these ideas being discussed at the state capitol that are getting a lot of interest. And these are bills receiving the most clicks on the state's legislative website. Hot bills. Hot bills. Hot bills. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so first up, we have a measure that we have talked about a lot. It has to do with trying to increase the state's vaccination rate, generated a lot of interest, had a very, very lengthy first hearing. It's still making its way through the state Senate. That thing's not going away. No. There's another on the list that I've covered. That's a public employee unions. This is a bill that would allow employees of the state to collectively and bindingly bargain with the state about their working conditions and their pay. And then we have a measure that's actually from last year. It became law January 1st, and it has to do with health care costs and trying to provide more transparency for people on whether medical procedures, surgeries, that type of thing are out of network or in network. This is one of the many bills that they're still writing rules on that was passed a year ago in the session that saw so much legislation done. It's like it never actually ended and still continues. Yeah, and I think people may not always realize that just because something goes through the legislative process, it, it may not be done. There are these rulemaking processes where people can come and have an open hearing again, and that's that's a whole separate thing. So you're it, telling me sine die isn't really the end of all this? It's definitely not. In fact, some of these rules they're writing now are more important than half the legislation we've covered so far this year. (laughs) Go home and tear down that calendar I've got on my wall. (laughs) Now we're going to shift to the topic that has given all of us a few sleepless nights recently. (laughs) Super Tuesday and Colorado's presidential primary. Mm Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders pulled off a double-digit victory here, and he led with about 36 percent of the vote, and his strength was distributed pretty much across the state. Sanders' victory was widely expected. He was uh, showing best in the polls and also had the strongest, biggest organization here. What is interesting, though, that 36 percent actually doesn't match his margin of victory four years ago in the 2016 caucuses, which is kind of interesting. It's just a matter of the fact that we had a much more crowded field and a more challenging race for him, given that it was a primary. Yeah, he really blew Hillary Clinton out by, what, 20 points in 2016? It was was pretty significant. Yeah, nearly 20 points. And so now you've got, you know, many times more voters coming in because it's not this caucus system anymore. You don't have to go hang around in some gym for hours and it's much easier to vote, which means, uh, yeah, maybe some some less dedicated and less intense people get to participate. A lot of people I talked to who supported changing how we do caucuses in this state wanted unaffiliated voters to be included because they didn't like the ideological extremes, whether on the right or the left, and they were hoping by unaffiliated voters participating with the idea that they're not affiliated with either party, (laughs) uh, we might get more moderate candidates. 
But so far, we haven't seen that. When I looked back at Prop 107 and its original intent and what the backers promised us in 2016 when voters approved it, they promised this moderation, but we haven't seen it so far. And the two primaries that we've had since it passed, the Mm -hmm. Democratic gubernatorial race, Governor Jared Polis won. He was the most progressive candidate in that field. And once again on Super Tuesday, Bernie Sanders won Colorado again. So You don't think Sanders is a moderate, huh? Uh, Sanders is certainly the most progressive candidate still in this race. Mm-hmm. Uh, moderate Michael Bloomberg did do fairly well in Colorado. Some of the Prop 107 supporters point to that as a silver lining of sorts, but say it's not reached its full promise yet. Hmm, that's interesting. I'm kind of puzzling over Bloomberg and Sanders both doing well. Um, you know, some people have suggested that Sanders did so well out here that there's something about the West that really likes him. Others have pointed out that we have early voting here. And that maybe voters started to move away from Sanders as we got closer to the primary and that he banked a lot of his support here early and that Bloomberg maybe came in later. What Colorado has is a one of the most educated voter classes, also one of the youngest. So right, where you. Sanders didn't do so well with young voters elsewhere across the country in Super Tuesday, he did really well in Colorado and won a significant mm-hmm. number of our young voters and the lines at CU were, you know, 15 minutes long. So folks turned out early for Sanders and on the last day. I think we've seen definitely a lot of division on the left about who the best person is to try to take on President Donald Trump in November. Indeed. But it's, you know, I think it'll be a big question how much the party can unite behind the eventual nominee. When I've been talking to folks, and these are typically at rallies or watch parties, so they're engaged, no one's told me they won't vote for whoever the nominee is. And one woman mm-hmm. I spoke with, Ramona Martinez, she's a former Denver City Council member. She was also on the Democratic National Committee. I was at a watch party for Joe Biden with her. She's a strong Biden supporter, not not thrilled with Sanders on a lot of mm-hmm. positions, but she says, you know, no matter what, she's going to get behind the nominee. It doesn't matter who, we're going to vote blue. That's going to be our slogan all the way up to November. The concerns, the enthusiasm among these Democrats, you know, making sure they turn out. In Colorado, that may be less of a concern because we have mail ballots. Everyone right. gets one. But you still got to turn it in. And so <laughs> this is the uh, fear among Democrats is even if they unite around a candidate, the enthusiasm won't be high enough for people to put two stamps on it and stick it back in the mailbox or just to drive it down to their local voting place. Right. I spent time with a bunch of Democrats at the Democratic Party watch party for Super Tuesday. And the mood was conciliatory. It was a bunch of people trying to, you know, put the past behind them and and come together on a candidate. And it was remarkable talking to these people because it was like they had been through a speed dating event. They'll say, I was flirting with five different candidates, and I'm going to go with the guy that I talked to second, Joe Biden. Interesting. But they may have been to Warrenville and, and... Steyer and all these candidates that we've long since forgotten about between then and now. It's all about electability. That's what you're hearing. And that was the number one concern among Democrats we spoke to in Colorado is, can Bernie win? And the pervading thought became, no, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a real challenge for Democrats with Bernie. Uh, Senator Michael Bennett is says it before anyone else that Bernie Sanders will make it tougher for Democrats to win here in Colorado. Wow. So the electability question really shifted folks toward Biden at the last minute. And as these votes are trickling in, you're seeing Biden tick up very, very slowly. But he's actually uh, surpassed Michael Bloomberg here in Colorado now. I think Democrats are well aware that President Trump's base is very enthusiastic. Yeah, I've been to a number of Republican events lately. 
State of the Union, not in D.C., at a bar. Uh, Trump's address in Colorado Springs. And I also stopped by the the kind of remnants of a watch party toward the end of Super Tuesday. You might wonder, why go to a watch party when your own nominee is all but selected? And the answer is to have a few cocktails and to watch the chaos in the Democratic field. Many of them also think that Sanders is going to be the more beatable candidate. And they also think he's going to be the more interesting candidate. That you know, they're they're describing this chance, and maybe they some of them had a couple cocktails, but this chance to deliver a knockout blow to socialism. One guy tells me it's going to be USA versus USSR, and you know, he's imagining Miracle on Ice and and all these great hits of de- defeating communism. He's literally they're literally saying. Hmm. I don't know if that's true. The uh, the others kind of caution: be careful what you wish for. Yeah, Sanders supporters are very enthusiastic. Not that different from President Donald Trump's base. So hmm. people would definitely be voting for two different visions for this country. So taking a turn from the politics to a little bit of the process. John, you had talked about how we have a highly educated electorate, and we also have a state that gives you a lot of different options for voting. Everyone gets a mail-in ballot. You can return that either by mail, you can drop it off in person, and then people can vote at polling centers. So lots of different options, and a, a lot of election officials see this as one of the best models in the country. And we frequently hear those election officials tell us, vote early. As soon as you know, turn in the ballot. It makes the processing time so much faster. A lot of people did that for this primary, and it maybe didn't work out too well for them. And you have to remember, the ballots went out near the New Hampshire primary. Technically, you could have voted in Colorado and been among the first in the nation. <laughs> that didn't work out for you this year if you were an A.B. Klobuchar fan or a Pete Buttigieg <laughs> no, fan, because those ballots didn't count at all on election day. They filed paperwork to withdraw their candidacy, so they weren't even counted. Uh, but exit polls showed it was probably about 22% of the state's vote. And wow. we had at least 150,000 ballots not counted because they voted for candidates who were no longer in the race. A lot of frustration there from folks because some of these people were extremely excited to vote for those candidates and turned in their ballot pretty much as soon as they got the ballot in the mail. One little debate point that we heard emerge from that was uh, proponents of election reform took this as an opportunity to call once again for something called ranked choice voting. And that's where you have first, second, third, fourth. That's right. So in in this situation, uh, people who had marked down Buttigieg as number one, their ballots would have just automatically rolled over instead to the number two that they had selected. If it, and if that was Klobuchar, it would have gone to number three. It's not the first time we've had this conversation. In fact, just weeks before the primary, uh, Secretary of State Jenna Griswold convened possibly the highest level discussion about ranked hmm. choice voting, alternative method voting, other kind of models that states and local municipalities are using. But it's Still a long way from happening Mm. here in Colorado. It was a conversation when we asked the Secretary of State whether she supported these things. She wouldn't say. So there's not a huge groundswell of support around this. But folks are trying to go to Colorado's ballot and force some of these changes and want to take them straight to voters. And even Griswold seemed a little more enthusiastic about the idea of ranked choice voting. She said it could be a way to address some of the complaints. Certainly after Super Tuesday, I think more people were thinking, hey, would this option have allowed my vote to count? 
So one thing we haven't talked about related to all this are the actual delegates. Colorado allocates 67 delegates. How do you get to be a delegate? This is actually one of my favorite topics, which is the math behind voting. Okay, and, you're you're a true nerd here. You yeah. know that, right? Get out your TI-83s. On election night, I, I spent the night doing the math, the uh, Democratic's math worksheet on how to assign delegates. And we launched a tracker at coloradosun.com. And it's fascinating because how these delegates get assigned is very much based on a party formula. The next most interesting part about this is how these <laughs> delegates actually get picked, which is at the starts at the caucus process and rises up to the conventions at the county and state level. It's a little bit like running for you know your student body president in high school or or maybe even middle school. They it's a line of party activists hmm. who get up on stage and make their case. Sometimes wearing weird costumes right. to stand hmm. out. Sometimes like waving American flags or Bernie signs. It's uh, is it pretty it, competitive? In 2016, it was super competitive because delegates matter. When Bernie Sanders won the 2016 caucus in Colorado, he got 39% of the vote. By the time the state convention was done and the delegates were assigned, he had 43% of the vote. Wow. So you can actually pick up delegates along the way. It matters that your supporters show up and it matters that they seek these spots. It's uh, kind of the true core representative part of this delegate process, but it's a very internal party process that millions of Colorado voters just don't pay attention to and are not a part of. So this big vote Colorado just took is just the first step. Yes. The the statewide vote actually only assigned one third of the Democratic delegates to the National Convention. The other two thirds are assigned through a party crafted formula <laughs> that assigns them at the congressional district level. And it's designed to reward areas in the state that are more democratic. So Yes, the statewide vote mattered, but only to an extent. Let's wrap up now with our final segment. Wait, what? Yes. I can't do anything but laugh. John's thinking, wait, what? Huh? <laughs> So I was in a committee hearing where we were learning a little bit about the coronavirus and how the state may respond or the legislature may respond if we start seeing a lot more cases. One of the things you can do is have the leprosy committee meet. The what? The huh? <laughs> <laughs> that caught a lot of people off guard. What's this leprosy committee? It's actually uh, a committee charged with dealing with emergency response. Just for the record... The official title of the committee, right, is the Legislative Emergency Preparedness Response and Recovery Committee. That makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> Did you get that? No. So it doesn't refer to leprosy? I thought they'd ride in on horses to attend this committee. <laughs> so that's that's <laughs> the acronym. acronym. Oh, wow. How long has that been around? It doesn't meet frequently. It's once a year, once every couple years. Some of the lawmakers who serve on that committee... They didn't know what the committee was called. They're like, it's the what? You know, they were just trying the to figure it out. So I, for one, I'm glad we have such a committee. That capital is a cesspool of germs. Just you wait. Even in a, on a regular day. On a regular day with all the kids from all across the state, all the tourists from all across the world, and all the lawmakers from all four corners. Well, and not to mention the media. <laughs> you know, you guys are just making it so everyone who's listening will never want to visit the capital again. It's beautiful. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Just stay away from the press room, maybe, <laughs> so I don't get sick. That's it for this week's episode. 
Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Fenta Berkland with my colleague Andrew Kenny and John Frank from the Colorado Sun. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey and edited by Megan Verlee. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. If you're enjoying Purplish, help others find us too. Like and review the show on iTunes, and to keep up with everything we've talked about this week and more, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Andy KNNY. I'm at Benta Berkland. I'm at By John Frank. We'll be back next week. You can find Purplish wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. It's chomping at the bit. No, it's champing. Is it really? Yeah, horses champ. <laughs>